Good morning, New Hope. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, you could turn to Romans chapter 15. It is indeed, again, an honor and a privilege to uh, stand before you to break the bread of life. And I just uh, pray that, as or echo Sam's prayer, that this message, this series of messages, would really resonate in our hearts and bring us together in unity. I'm going to be reading from the first uh, 12 verses of Romans chapter 15. So, Let's give attention to the reading of God's holy word. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such unity with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another, as Christ has welcomed you, for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. So last uh, week, we looked at uh, the end of chapter 14. We saw a message about unity, and guess what? The second part of that message about unity is about unity and how we should live in the church so that as a body we can accomplish our mission. I was reminded this week of a story of a, a church that was dealing with a difficult situation for them. It was a very old church, and it had a very old beloved tree in the front of the yard of the church and the time had come for the tree to come down and they had a meeting about this because there was some contention about whether to take the tree down or not take the tree down and there was this one older gentleman who would be a kindred spirit to me because I love trees and he argued hard and long to save the tree But in the end, the vote was to take the tree down. And so on the Saturday that the tree was to come down and people were to gather to do that, that man was the first one there. 
And uh, someone said to him, I, I thought you didn't want to take this tree down. And he said, I didn't. I still don't. But we voted to do it. And so I am here to accomplish our mission today. That's unity. That's unity in the body. Last week I said to my way of thinking, the church is a glorious organism created by God for his glory. And it's through the church that we come before God as the body of Christ like we're doing here today. It's through the church that we learn how much we are loved, that Christ died for the church. It's through the church that we hear the word of the Lord. It's through the church that we learn to live as a family, as we've been discussing over the last two weeks. Christ is honored through the church as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Last week we started this exploration of how the church, our church, can truly reflect a divine relationship with God. We were charged, as it were, last week by Paul to act in love. That was the first thing. If Christ loved your brother or sister to the extent of laying down his life for that person's salvation, doesn't it seem alien to the demands of that love to act in a way contrary to the best interests of that person for whom Christ died. Secondly, we were talking about being pleasing to God. It's a simple formula. Want to be pleasing to God? Have as your motive in all relationships righteousness, peace, and joy. Remember, peace, blessing, and joy, the PB and J of the kingdom of God. A couple have asked me already whether there's going to be a BLT today. And if I had been that witty, I would have come up with it. Maybe before I end, we'll come up with a BLT. Finally, last week, we talked about acting from faith. Until and unless we firmly establish our belief in God and what we truly believe and all that he has done, our relationships will suffer. We talked about being a builder or a wrecker in which you were. We took a spiritual inventory last week from the first 12 verses of chapter 14. Based on what we believe, we then have to act from faith. Those first 12 verses talked about being accepted by God, belonging to God. Now, you probably know that the Bible was not written with chapters and verses. Those were added later. And so I really think that the break in the chapter really breaks up Paul's unique message to us. And you're probably happy that I didn't make this a six-point sermon last week. So we'll do three last week and three today. But Paul's talking about the same thing. And my prayer this week is the same as it was last week that these two messages would serve to reset our hearts and our attitudes as we come out of this long summer, 
unique summer and as we resume some of our normal activities in the church. After Paul discusses how we should act from faith, he describes how we should do it. And that's our next point. The church could truly reflect a divine relationship with God if only we would act in love, be pleasing to God, act from faith, and follow Christ's example. Look at verses 1 through 4. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and to not please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Probably the best way to act from faith is our next principle. If only we would follow Christ's example. Instead of judging, Paul's saying, instead of never being happy in the church, instead of hurting other people, instead of self-seeking attention, instead of always having our own way, Paul says, bear with the failings of the weak. Forget about pleasing yourself. Start pleasing your brother. Remember, the one for whom Christ died. For even Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, did not please himself. That's our supreme example. And Paul quotes from Psalm 69, verse 9, the second half of it, 9b. Psalm 69 is a messianic psalm. In fact, it's one of the most often quoted psalms in the New Testament. Psalm 69a, the first half of that verse, says, For zeal for your house consumes me. And this John, in his gospel, applied to the cleansing of the temple. That Christ had a zeal for the house of God and that it should be holy. And by doing that good and righteous act, Christ brought reproach upon himself. That reproach was actually against the honor of God. The insults of God against God all fell on Christ. All enmity of men against God was directed to Christ and he was the victim of that assault. So how does all of this tie in with pleasing your brother and sister and not yourself? I think it's the apparent dissimilarity between what Christ did and what we're to do. Christ did not please himself and did not do this to the extent of bearing all the enmity against God. And he did this because he was jealous for God's honor and God's house. He avoided nothing, not even one stroke. So shall we insist on making our concerns in the house of God matters as insignificant as food or drink, or music, or many churches fight about the carpet, and the list could go on and on. Whatever the issue, 
Shall we do that to the detriment of God's people for whom Christ died? As they say in the colloquial, come on, man, get real. Remember, it isn't the menu of vegetables or meat that holds us together. What holds us together is the bread and the cup. That's what holds us together. Christ's example for us. And simply put, follow Christ's example. In humility, Christ set an example for us. Paul describes what our response should be in another book of his, the book of Philippians. And I'm going to turn there to chapter 2 in Philippians and read a few verses. Philippians chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. And here's the important part. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, I seriously doubt that any of us are going to be, follow, are going to be called upon to follow Christ's example unto death. But last week I spoke of the fact that you can't live the resurrected life unless you die. You can't be resurrected unless you die. And what are we talking about? Dying to self and selfish ambitions. And one simple first step to doing that is count others more significant than yourself. That's what verse 3 is about. There's an old preacher whose name was F.B. Myers. He was a contemporary and a friend of Dwight L. Moody, although he was from England. And he, has, he was an evangelist. He was involved in inner-city mission work on actually both sides of the Atlantic. And here's a quote from him. I used to think that God's gifts were on shelves, one above the other, and that the taller we grew in Christian character, the more easily we should reach these gifts. I find now that God's gifts are on shelves, one beneath the other. And it is not a question of growing taller, but stooping lower. And that we have to go down, always down, to get his best gifts. Christ gave us the ultimate example of humility. We are to follow it. So the church could truly reflect a divine relationship with God if only we would act in love, be pleasing to God, act from faith, follow Christ's example. And our fifth point is, if only we would 
promote unity. Look at verses 5 and 6. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This theme is the same as the beginning of chapter 14. Mutual esteem, forbearance for one another. As you follow Christ's example, God will give you endurance, encouragement, and unity. And look at verse 6 again. That together you may, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That kind of unity that Paul is talking about has results Paul says it enables us with one heart and one mouth, one voice, to glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The church I grew up in had an interesting uh, practice that promoted unity. Whenever there was an issue or something of discussion or even a vote about uh, elders and deacons and trustees and such... There was always discussion, and then there would be a vote. And then, just as in our congregation, uh, the majority of the votes would indicate the will of the congregation. But then the moderator would call for a second ballot. And he would say, we have seen what the will of the congregation is. We will now cast a second ballot and entreat our brothers and sisters who voted against this for the sake of unity to now vote for it. A unity in the body. And I can scarcely remember a time when the second vote was not unanimous. One heart, one voice, a declaration of unity that the will of the congregation, as one, we move together in one heart, and one voice. And so you see the circle is complete. We started out with talking about our relationship with God is foundational to the relationship with others. And when our relationships are as they should be with others, then it unlocks. It's like a key that unlocks our praise to God. And why did God establish a relationship with us to begin with? To bring glory to himself. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Now, some of us come to worship so full of joy and thanksgiving that we can't wait to let it out. Others come dragging empty buckets ready to be filled. But whether we regard ourselves as uh, spiritually strong or weak in faith, together we praise God. With one voice, as Paul says. Let's remember that worship is not for our benefit. It's for the benefit of God. We don't come to get something out of it, although that generally happens. We come to give ourselves to praise to God, to our God. The faithful church is a praising church. And your relationships with one another are the key to the church being able to glorify God with one heart and one voice. 
So with one voice, with one heart, so with one voice we sang today, we'll sing to the Lord, and with one heart we'll live out his word. Did you mean that? That's what we're talking about. One heart, one voice. And what kind of worship is that? That's worship that has results. It accomplishes much. Think about it. The enemy is defeated when we are worshiping God. Because darkness cannot stay where there is light. And praise brings the brightness of God into our circumstances, whatever that might be. Secondly, in that kind of worship where we're praising God, our, our own faith is strengthened. We can actually cross over from doubt and negative emotions into a new level of faith. When we praise God in our trying circumstances, amazing things happen in our own hearts. And as we glorify God and praise him as a congregation, we advance the kingdom of God. God's kingdom literally comes on earth whenever there is an atmosphere of worship and praise. Think about all the verses of scripture that we are taken to heaven to see what's going on in heaven. Isn't it all about worship? Think of Isaiah. Think of the book of Revelation. What's going on in heaven? It's worship. And so when we worship with one heart and one voice, we bring the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, right down here. Psalm 22.3 says that God sits enthroned, literally inhabits our praises. Want to promote unity in the church? Start thinking about coming to church with a one heart, one voice attitude. We find that one heart, one voice glorifying promotes unity. And unity promotes one heart, one voice, which is the key to unlocking God's presence among us. Our worship is so important. That's amazing. If our praise is suffering, then we need to start asking the question that the disciples asked Jesus when he said that one would betray him. Is it I? Is it I? Again, what Paul is highlighting for us is that everything matters. Everything matters. The kingdom of God operates on principle and purpose. And you are one of the keys in the kingdom. When we see how important unity is, we understand the importance of promoting unity. And that's what Paul is saying. It matters. We should be jealous for the house of the Lord and the unity, just as Christ was. So the church could truly reflect a divine relationship with God if only we would act in love, be pleasing to God, act from faith, follow Christ's example, promote unity, and finally, if only we would remember the foundation. In verses 7 through 12, remember the foundation. Therefore, welcome one another 
as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I shall praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. In verse 7, Paul summarizes what he's been talking about. Accept one another. Welcome one another, just as Christ has accepted and welcomed you. And remember the foundation on which you stand. That's what these verses are talking about. Paul reminds the Romans, and he reminds us, that, the, that there is a foundation of promises that bring us to today. And I'm not just talking about Paul's day. I'm talking about August 30th, 2020. Today, today. Look at verse 8. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Now, a true exhaustive study of these verses could literally take hours, so I'm not going to do that. But I'm going to give you... uh, the gist of what Paul was trying to demonstrate. He sets the context for his point in verse 8, that Christ's work and mission, that Christ came as a minister, as a servant, literally as a diakonos. It's where we get our word deacon. Christ came as a servant to the circumcision insert Jewish nation. Christ came to the nation of Israel. And by setting a context in this way, circumcision, he takes us all the way back to what is called the Abrahamic covenant. And if you want to study that, I'll let you read Genesis 12 through 17 about the covenant. And the sign of this covenant that God made with Abraham was circumcision. And the promise of this covenant was redemptive. God would bless Abraham, and he would be a blessing, and he would be given a great nation. The promise was a further unfolding of all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, where a redeemer was promised. The promise also included that Abraham would be the father of not only this great nation, that God was going to make out of him. But nations would be blessed through him. Abraham was blessed to be a blessing. And Christ came first to the Jewish nation and would usher in a new covenant, a covenant of grace. But this covenant, just as the Abrahamic covenant, way back then in Genesis, This new covenant 
was to bring blessing to all. All who entered into the covenant of grace would be blessed through it. Just think of some uh, verses well known as John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the covenant. And so Christ's appearance to the circumcision first and then his death and resurrection ushering in this covenant of grace, Paul is saying demonstrates that the promises made way back in Genesis, we're talking thousands of years before Christ came, have all been fulfilled. Not one of those promises. God keeps his promises. Perhaps today you're counting on a promise of God. You can count on it. God keeps his promises. And the significance of the quotations in the Old Testament, from the Old Testament, are that they are all prophecies that God would bring the Gentiles to glorify himself. And these three quotes are from, first of all, the Torah, the law, and there's from the prophets, and there's from the writings, the Psalms. All of these. In other words, there's a thread running through the whole Old Testament the complete message of the whole Old Testament was that God would bring the whole world under the redemptive power and lordship of Christ. A worldwide unity of believers under this covenant of grace. Paul has been stating this truth. The whole book. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. 3.29, or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. And 4.17, as he's speaking of Abraham, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. Uh, Chapter 9, verse 22 and following, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us, whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. Chapter 10, verse 12, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, or Gentile. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I won't quote the whole chapter 11. I'll let you read that. So if the Jews and the Gentiles who were worlds apart at the time of Christ, could unify and worship God together, putting aside differences, racial, cultural, personal preferences, for the sake of the main thing that they had in common, 
Jesus Christ. Why can't we? What's the issue? It certainly isn't meat and drink or insert issue here. It's about righteousness, peace, and joy. Peace, blessing, and joy. And you, as a believer, sitting here today, are living proof of the fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies that Christ would bring in the Gentiles. Christ is Lord. God is the judge. Christ has accomplished his part of the plan. This is our foundation that we need to remember. That God has brought acceptance and belonging to his people. And in the middle of God's will and God's glory stand you and I. So what should we do? How should we live? Hopefully after two weeks you're not asking that question. (laughs) Paul has stated it very clearly that the church could truly reflect a divine relationship with God. If only we would act in love, be pleasing to God, act from faith, follow Christ's example, promote unity, and remember the blessed foundation and that God keeps his word. Let's pray. Father God, as we have considered the blessed foundation of your promises fulfilled today in our sitting here, as we know the church was created,